Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. I see a little silhouette of a man Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the fandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me Galileo, Galileo, Mamma mia, mamma mia. Mamma mia, let me go. Alright, alright, we're good, we're good, we're good. That's enough of that song. <laughs> you, you've heard plenty, and it was great. Our most produced song ever. Ever. I mean, I hope you enjoyed it. I know someone out there is just like, this has gone to the, they've jumped the shark. <laughs> it's too much. I mean, I just want to give it up to Jake, boss who can hit the Galileo note. Yeah, Ugh, boy. Uh, no, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what's up, everybody? You're watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And it's a very special episode today because we are, well, one, we had a great montage of singing from everyone at the office, but we're also bringing on our editors here at the office to talk to you all about their favorite cards in Commander. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So everybody got to sing at the start and everybody's going to be in this episode. So all the people that we talk about at the end of every one of our podcast episodes, mm-hmm. you're going to get to hear from today because everybody's going to talk about their favorite cards. Yeah. And we're talking about a lot of cards and you might want to pick up, procure, purchase some of those cards. You can do so by heading over to our sponsor, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. There you can find all of your singles, sealed products and more. Theros Beyond Death, the most recent set is out. I mentioned a couple of cards from that set in my favorite card review and there's going to be lots more cards mentioned today. So if you want to pick any of those up, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Also, the uh, new unsanctioned product is on the horizon. You might be able to pre-order that now. So that's something to look for. Yeah, they look sweet. Uh, Our other sponsor is Ultra Pro and of course they make the awesome playmats that deck boxes, the sleeves, all the stuff that keeps all of our game pieces safe. We don't want our cards to get damaged. We want them to stay in good condition. Well, mm-hmm. Eclipse sleeves and all of Ultra Pro sleeves, uh, little known fact, they're actually using what we call the Eclipse technology on all their sleeves now. So even the ones with printed backs and everything, they used to be known for like not lasting very long. flimsier, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now the new ones in the last couple of years, like I've had my, is it sleeves? Oh, they've just stayed. For like 18 months, like they're not, they're not falling apart. So yeah. Ultra Pro stuff, really, really great and uh, really will protect all your all your uh, cardboard. Always upping their game. And yeah. the last way to support the show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone. We love our patrons. We get to talk to them at the right tier on Discord every single week, answer bunches of questions. And we got a great moderating team there as well. So if you want to join us, check on Check on check on patreon.com slash command zone and we shout out one lucky patron every single week. So this week's episode and song is dedicated, dedicated to Bobby Rizinger. Bobby, you rock. His name, I didn't realize this, has the word singer in the back end of it. Well, it's just randomly yeah, chosen. Just, I swear. I swear. <laughs> the random number generator sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> okay. On to the main topic. So we often do get asked this question, what is your favorite card in Commander? What is your favorite this, underrated that? And we get the question so much that I thought it'd be fun to put together an episode where not just Josh and I get to talk about our favorite cards, because it would end after two cards. Yeah, that would be a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> but why not hear from all of the other Commander aficionados here at the office and the editors? So you're going to be hearing from Josh and myself and all of our esteemed editors now. I will say this is the first time that a lot of them have ever been on camera 
And I asked them to deliver essentially a 10-minute monologue of what their favorite car was. I was in the room lying on the ground and being like, this is harder than I thought it was. <laughs> hey, listen, from doing it myself, uh, recording by yourself is a lot harder than recording with another person. True. There's nobody to throw things off of. And also, like, you're trying to figure out, like, when, when do I breathe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the intricacies we never figured out in five years of podcasting. We, also, a lot of our team is, like, streamers like Ashlyn. Mm -hmm. She's And people that have been on camera, too. So there's a little mix of both. I think it's always great to hear, though, from multiple, you know, various different uh, personalities and, and about when you ask a question yeah. like favorite card, like if you ask Jimmy and I, we're going to get a different type of card than you ask somebody else and somebody else because people just enjoy the game in different ways. Yeah. And all the time when I'm playing, somebody pulls out a card and I'm like, I've never seen that card before. What's that do? Take the camera. Yeah. Out. Holy crap. I need that card. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we can do some of that for you today. Yeah. And not to mention, you could probably guess what our favorite cards are or are in the general realm of what they are, but we might even surprise you. Yeah. I'm going to throw a curveball, I think. Ooh, very nice. And of course, make sure you send some love to our editors in the comments on Twitter and Instagram. There's a lot of their first time ever doing this and they did a commendable job. So I'm really proud of everyone. All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess the first person we're going to hear from today is you, Josh. So I don't, do you want to intro yourself? Um, I think I do in the clip. So let's roll the clip. <laughs> All right, I'll start us off. It's Josh here for those listening at home. If you can't recognize my voice by now, well, that would be disconcerting. <laughs> uh, all right, so my favorite card, well, you all know it. It's Vidalkin Ori. Okay, just kidding. I'm not going to talk about Vidalkin Ori because I pretty much talk about it every single episode. So it seems like it would not be uh, probably the most interesting thing for me to talk about here. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to discuss one of my favorite cards that, well, none of you are playing. And we don't talk about it on the show very often, or we haven't yet, but I'm about to remedy that. It's a super underrated card. I would say it's probably one of the most underrated cards maybe in the entire format. On EDH Rex stats, right now, this card is in only 403 out of a possible 131,423 decks. 400 out of more than 130,000 possible decks. That is statistically 0%. So when I say none of you are playing this card, statistically none of you are playing this card. All right, what card is it? It's called Reap. That's it, Reap, R-E-A-P. It's one in a green for an instant. Uh, note, I'm going to read the errated rules text on the card. So we're going to put the card on screen here if you're watching on YouTube. But the actual errated text is slightly different. So maybe we'll put that up beside the card here. It says, return up to X target cards from your graveyard to your hand, where X is the number of black permanents target opponent controls as you cast this spell. So a lot going on here. Remember, it's one in a green for an instant. You return up to X target cards from your graveyard to your hand. Cards. A lot of green stuff these days says permanence. This is any cards. You can get instants, sorceries, planeswalkers. Well, I guess that's a permanent. Um, the other thing to note that I think is really interesting on the errata here is that you target an opponent and it gives you X cards from your graveyard equal to the number of black permanents that opponent controls, but it's as you cast this spell. So it's difficult for you to get blown out by somebody removing some of the black permanents that the target opponent has or them sacking some stuff because as you cast it, you it's too late. Once you've cast the spell, you count the black permanents. Uh, this card is very, very good, and I understand why people don't play it because it says black permanents target opponent controls, and... People generally don't like to play cards that, you know, in their mind, they think sometimes this might get zero cards. However, black is very popular in the format. It's one of the most powerful colors. According to our stats episode, it might be in first or maybe second most powerful color. And in like 95% of games, there's going to be at least one opponent playing black. Often there's multiple opponents playing black. So I think you're almost always, and, and it's one in a green for an instant. If you just get one card back with this, that's already regrowth. It's already eternal witness, but cheaper. Regrowth is a sorcery, so it's an instant. There's just a lot of upside to this card. Now, obviously there are some cool interactions also with the card. There is ways to sort of alter the colors of permanence on the battlefield so that you can really abuse this and take advantage of it. 
There's a card called Darkest Hour. This is one black for an enchantment. It says, all creatures are black. That's it. Turns all creatures on the board into the color black, which means if you have Darkest Hour in a deck and you're playing green also, Reap should definitely be in your deck because you're already turning everybody's creatures into the color that will draw you the most cards out of your graveyard. Blue also has a ton of effects that changes color words on cards. So one is Sway of Illusion. It's one in a blue for an instant. Any number of target creatures become the color of your choice until end of turn. Draw a card. There's also Shifting Sky. Two in a blue for an enchantment. As Shifting Sky comes into play, choose a color. All non-land permanents are the chosen color. Blue has a ton of this stuff. I'm not going to read them all. And then, of course, the big one, recently unbanned. Painter's Servant. It's two mana for an artifact creature, a Scarecrow. It's a 1-3. As it enters the battlefield, you choose a color, and all cards that aren't on the battlefield, spells, and permanents are the chosen color in addition to their other colors. So if Painter's Servant's in your deck and you're playing green, you 100% should be playing Reap because you're turning their lands and everything into the color black if black's the color you choose with Painter's Servant. And that means you might get 10, 12, 15 cards out of the graveyard for two mana at instant speed. I just want to reiterate, though, that this card, Reap, is good even if you don't have any color-changing shenanigans or enchantments or whatever going on in your deck. It's just a good card. It's going to be useful in 95% of your game. Somebody's going to be playing black. Again, if you only get one card back with it, for one in a green out of your graveyard, it's fine, but you're often getting two, three. Once you're at three cards, it's busted. One thing Wizards has learned in the modern era about cards like this is they put little clauses at the end, so something will get stuff out of your graveyard, but then it'll exile itself, or it'll shuffle itself back into your library. The Seasons Pass that I played in the most re recent episode of Game Nights, it got me back seven cards. Everyone was like, whoa, that's awesome, but then it shuffled itself back into my library. Reap doesn't do that, so you can get into all of these really cool loops with other cards like Eternal Witness, Regrowth, Archaeomancer, that kind of stuff. You can get those cards back as some of the cards you're getting with Reap when you cast it, and then you can use those cards to get Reap back out of your graveyard, and then if any of those things die or go back to the graveyard, if it's Regrowth, it just goes back by itself, get it back with Reap, and so you can just continuously use this card to sort of reuse the cards out of your graveyard. It's just very, very powerful. And uh, if you're not playing Reap in a large percentage of your green decks, you probably should try it out. I think it's going to really open your eyes to the power of cards that have like specific color words on them. I know a lot of times we look at cards like that and we just don't want to play them. We're just worried. What if I have this and it's a dead card? That's very rarely the case. And when the upside is so big like it is on Reap, I think it's worth it. All right. Thanks for listening to uh, one of my favorite cards. And now let's hear from Jimmy. Hey everyone, I am Jimmy Wong. I am one of your hosts here at the Command Zone Podcast and Game Nights. So no surprise, one of my absolute favorite cards ever in Commander, it's red. You guessed it, of course it has to be red. And you know, I do have a lot of favorite cards, but this one has definitely won the most Commander games for me by far. And that card is Sneak Attack. Boom, Sneak Attack, three and a red for an enchantment. You can pay a red mana, and you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. That creature gains haste. Sacrifice the creature at the beginning of the next end step. So, why do I love this card? Well, historically, it is regarded as one of the strongest cards ever printed, and for good reason. Now, old cards in Magic, one of my favorite things about looking at old cards is finding out when they have text that's just a little outdated. So in recent history, Magic likes to use different sort of phrases on top of the cards to make them, well, less broken. And one of the phrases on Sneak Attack that's very interesting is that it just says, sacrifice the creature at the beginning of the next end step. It does not have the text that we've come to know and love on a lot of cards like Whip of Erebus that says, if it would leave the battlefield, 
exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. And this is so that, you know, obviously you can't recur things over and over and over again and break the cards, but Sneak Attack is old enough that it doesn't have this text, and that's why it is super duper busted. So when you put a creature out with Sneak Attack, it means it's going to hit the graveyard, and then from there, you can do all sorts of things with it. So I first fell in love with this card because of one of my first commanders, and one that you all know is one of my favorite commanders, Marchesa the Black Rose. So Marchesa reads... Dethrone. Whenever this creature attacks the player with the most life or tied for the most life, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And other creatures you control have dethrone. And whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies, return that card to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. So when your other creatures have dethrone, you can get plus one plus one counters on them by swinging at the player with the most life. And if those creatures ever happen to leave the battlefield for any reason, then they're going to come back to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. Marchesa is great because you can steal someone else's creature and then give them a plus one plus one counter, sacrifice it, and it comes back under your control. So there are a lot of broken things you can do with it. But with sneak attack, you can hasten a huge creature, attack the person with the most life total, and then when it gets sacrificed, Marchesa is going to trigger it and it's going to come back to your battlefield at the beginning of the next end set. So this works because the creature isn't exiled when it gets sacrificed. Marchesa just loves shenanigans like this. And it's really hard to get plus one plus one counters on creatures in the Grixis colors, so Dethrone is a perfect way of doing that. Now, when it comes to creatures that you can drop onto the battlefield with Sneak Attack, there is no shortage of powerful things to do. I'm a big fan of dragons, as you all know, and cards like Scourge of the Throne or Udvara Hellkite, those are the cards that can just literally swing the entire game in your favor. And Uvara Hellkite makes a lot of tokens when it attacks, and those tokens are going to stick around even if the Uvara Hellkite has to be sacrificed at the end step. So obviously make a ton of creatures, put them on the battlefield. Scourge of the Throne is going to give you extra combat steps. Maybe Uvara Hellkite is going to be able to swing twice, and at the end of it, you're going to have all of these tokens left over, and you're probably going to have done a decent amount of damage to the table. Those are usually the scenarios in which Sneak Attack lets me win the game when I get a couple of extra combat steps, when I'm able to swing out of nowhere and pay a really cheap mana cost to put in a huge creature. And since the activation cost of Sneak Attack is only one red, if you have a lot of mana, get ready to put a ton of cards onto the battlefield. And look, maybe you're in a situation where your hand isn't looking that great and you need to actually refresh it. Well, a card that I put down in the past is Magus of the Wheel because it has an activated ability that requires it to tap, but because Sneak Attack gives it haste, you can tap it and use it this turn. And look, if you've got red mana left over afterwards, you can almost guarantee some new scary things are going to be coming out of your new seven cards in your hand. One card that I think is really interesting with Sneak Attack is Iron Crag Feet. It's a new card that adds a bunch of red mana, but it basically doesn't let you cast more spells this turn. However, when you have activated costs of a card like Sneak Attack on the battlefield, it doesn't care about you actually playing the card because you're cheating those cards onto the battlefield. So it's one of those cool little interactions where you can get around some text that's supposed to be detrimental. And that, to me, of course, is the beauty of Commander. So, you know, you can be evil like Craig with this card. You can drop out a Blightsteel Colossus. You can be Eldrazi like Ashlyn and throw an Ulamog down with Annihilator. The possibilities really are endless when you can draw from the entire history of magic. And boy, if you look back, there are some scary, scary things you can do. You don't even need to be mono red. You can put this in any deck that plays red. So commanders that pair very well with this obviously are Animar, Rakdos, Lord of Riots, you have Xenagos, God of Revels, and a new one, Lathless Dragon Queen. So um, do you see any similarities between these commanders? They all kind of want to put out giant, very, very scary creatures. And if you're able to do that just a little bit sooner thanks to Sneak Attack, you're going to be able to swing the game in your favor and probably become enemy number one. Uh, some new cards that I'm really excited about from recent sets include the new Perforos from Theros Beyond Death. While he's not as powerful as Sneak Attack, his ability is very similar, and it's one that we haven't really seen in Magic ever, and so having a redundant effect like that in a deck that really wants it can be game-changing. Now, M20 also has some cool cards like Cavalier of Flame that has an Enter the Battlefield and a Dies trigger. So you're going to actually get both of them when you play them with Sneak Attack. And then there's also some scary new dragons. I do love me some dragons like Dracuseth, Maw of Flames. Ooh, that thing swings in once, your opponents are going to have some trouble. And that's it. So if you're at the table with me and we're playing Commander at a Magic Fest or at a convention or something and I'm playing red... 
well, you better be packing some enchantment removal and at instant speed because you really don't want to see what happens when I get Sneak Attack out. It's the card that's won me the most games, and it will probably steal a couple more victories for me in the future. All right, that does it for my favorite card in Commander. Uh, obviously, there are lots of favorite cards of mine, but this one really holds a special place in my heart. Up next, we are going to hear from Craig Blanchett. The Infect King, Mr. Infect himself. My question is, is he going to choose a Phyrexian card for his favorites? Who knows? There's only one way to find out. So let's see what he has to say. Hey, everybody. My name is Craig Blanchett, also known as Mr. Infect. I'm one of the editors on Command Zone and OG Game Night. And my favorite card is Triumph of the Hordes. Triumph of the Hordes is a sorcery for two green green that says until end of turn, creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain trample and infect. It also has a reminder text that says creatures with infect deal damage to creatures in the form of minus one minus one counters and to players in the form of poison counters. So why do I love this card so much? There are so many reasons. This card works great in aggro strategies, and I play a lot of aggro. So in decks like Rune, or Carador or Samut, where I'm playing a lot of beefy creatures, or in decks like Riss, Gave, Prosh, where I'm going wide with a lot of tokens. As long as I have a lot of creatures on the battlefield when I play Triumph of the Hordes, it's going to buff all of my creatures by plus one plus one, which is significant because I'm trying to deal 10 infect damage to everybody. And it's also giving them all trample, which is the ability to get through with those creatures. So even if my opponents throw up blockers, a lot of that damage is going to get through. And this plays a lot like another card, another staple in the format called Craterhoof Behemoth, but it's at half the CMC and can also give you other benefits as well. Triumph of the Hordes, going back to the original reminder text, deals damage to creatures in the form of minus one, minus one counters. This is important because these counters don't go away at end of turn. It's also notable that minus one, minus one counters are one of the only ways to deal with indestructible creatures. So even if they do have an indestructible creature as a blocker, leaving that minus one, minus one counter on it gives you more opportunities to deal with it later. This seems good enough on its own, but works even better with first strike or double strike. The Triumph of the Hordes is already buffing your creatures by plus one, plus one, which is great. But let's say they have first strike. You have a four, four first strike infect against your opponent's six, six. On first strike damage, your creature is going to deal four minus one minus one counters to their six six, bringing it down to a two two. So by the time that their two two hits you, your creature is going to survive. On the other hand, let's say your creature has double strike. You have a four four double strike against an opponent's six six. On first strike, you're going to deal four minus one minus one counters to it, bringing it down to a two two. And then on regular damage, it's going to trample through for two extra infect damage. Now, that may seem small, but it's significant because Infect is another alternate win con. So the way that Infect works is as long as your opponent or any player has 10 or more Infect counters, they lose the game. So no matter what kind of life total they have, whether they have ways of manipulating their life total like Platinum Imperion or any sort of crazy life gain effects, if you Infect them with 10 Infect, they are dead. And that leads to the main reason why I chose this card. This card can consistently take out more than one opponent. I would say when I usually play this card, I'm attacking with enough power to take out about two opponents. I was actually playing a game recently where I had Rune out and I had I was able to cast Lurking Predators. So as the turn went on, my opponents were casting spells. I had creatures coming onto the battlefield. By the time it got to my turn, I had enough power on the board and Triumph of the Hordes in hand that I was able to play Triumph of the Hordes and take out the three-person pod that I was with. Another game I was in recently, I was playing Samut, and I played Silvala's Stampede, and I was able to, on the same turn, play Triumph of the Hordes while Samut was in play. So all of those creatures had haste, and I was able to take out two opponents in that same turn. That makes this card a little bit better than some of my other favorites, like Grafted Exoskeleton, uh, Corrupted Conscience, Tainted Strike. All of those only affect one creature, which make them just a little bit less powerful than Triumph of the Hordes. The fact that Triumph of the Hordes hits all of my creatures at the same time gives me more opportunity to play around with 
some of the other effects in Magic. It should also be noted that Triumph of the Hordes combos really well with the mechanics of red, and you're about to see why. If you have a card like the original Perforos, and it's turned on, meaning that it's a creature your devotion is more than 5, and you're able to cast Triumph of the Hordes, your Perforos now has Infect. So, if you're also able to cast Artifact Mutation on an opponent's Gilded Lotus, or Aura Mutation on your own Corrupted Conscience, you're now getting 5 creatures into the board, which deals 10 damage to all your opponents in the form of Infect, and you've just effectively won the game. Some other cards that combo really well with this are Stalking Vengeance. Stalking Vengeance is kind of like a reverse Warstorm Surge in that whenever your creatures die, they deal damage to target opponent or creature equal to its power. So if you have a card like Stalking Vengeance out and you cast Triumph of the Hordes, now you have free reign to attack with all of your creatures and your opponents have to choose whether to block them or to let them through. Now if they block them and any of them die, you can now point that damage directly at them, causing them to lose the game. Triumph of the Hordes also works well with Walking Ballista and Triskelion. Even though it's a little bit wonky and if you have infinite mana you've already won with Walking Ballista, but with Gave, because you only need 10 infect counters, you can play around with the plus one, plus one with both of these as long as they stay on the battlefield after you've cast Triumph of the Hordes. Because as soon as they leave the battlefield, they no longer have the infect clause. So you do want to make sure that you use them while they're, they still have the Triumph counter on them. Two cards that I do like a little bit better are in red called Chandra's Ignition and Soul's Fire. Chandra's Ignition is great because if you have a creature that's power 10 or more, you essentially win the game by casting Triumph of the Hordes and then casting that on that creature. Soul's Fire can be a little bit more tricky. It's an instant for two and a red that says target creature deals damage equal to its power to target player. So you can attack with all of your creatures, and no matter what your opponents do, you can sneak that damage in for the win. One last way to play around with those counters, because you have both Infect and minus one, minus one counters, you can proliferate. So cards like Contagion Engine, Contagion Clasp, even if Atraxas is your general, once you have those infect counters or minus one, minus one counters on those creatures, it just takes a little bit to get some of those players to that 10 that you need. And proliferate can be a great way to do that. And the last benefit of this card is that it doesn't exile itself. So even after you've cast it once to take out, say, one player, you can then get it back with cards like Archaeomancer or Eternal Witness and reuse it again and again. Or, if you're going for that final blow, you can use cards like Snapcaster Mage or Yawgmoth's Will to finish off the game. And that leads to the cards that I'm excited about. The card that I'm most excited about is from Theros, and it's called Underworld Breach. And it basically acts like a Yawgmoth's Will, where now if I cast my Triumph of the Hordes, and I only killed two players, and there's two left, now I have a way to get that back to get those final two players out. And that's why Triumph of the Hordes is in every green deck I make. Because if you play it correctly, Atraxa and all of the creators will be happy with you, and all will be won. Alright, that's enough for me. Let's find out what Ashlyn says and if Eldrazi made her list. Long live Phyrexia. Atraxa has a keyboard Atraxa. Hello everyone, Ashlyn Rose here. You might know me from Game Nights the office hours, but I also do a lot of work behind the scenes at the Command Zone, including all those awesome thumbnails. So picking one favorite commander card was pretty difficult because there are so many options and a lot of really great cards out there. I finally whittled it down to one, and it is a card that is near and dear to my heart, and it is, gr it's, okay, no, it's, I'm just kidding. It's an Eldrazi. We all knew it was going to be an Eldrazi, it's not who you think, though. It's not Kozlect. It is Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger. It costs 10 to cast. When you cast it, you get to exile two target permanents. It's indestructible, and whenever Ulamog attacks, defending player exiles the top 20 cards of his or her library. Now, you might be saying to yourself, but Ashlyn, Kozlect is best boy. And while I agree with that, Ulamog is still probably my favorite, at least out of the cards that aren't banned. If I could pick any card, it would probably be Primeval Titan or Immercool Anne's Torn, but they tend to break things in the formats they're in, so we're not allowed to use them in Commander anymore. 
But now back to Ulamog. There are a lot of reasons that this card is great, but before I get into all of those things, I wanna talk about why it's my favorite card. I started playing Magic back in 2009 when Duels of the Planeswalkers had just released on Xbox, which was also around the time that Zendikar came out. It was the first non-core set that I really got a lot of experience with. There was a Lara Reborn, but we're not gonna count that because I was learning the ropes and that set was just insane in and of itself. So Zendikar was where it was at. So naturally, like a baby duck, when it first opens its eyes and gazes upon the bright and wonderful and beautiful world and imprints on the first thing it sees, I opened my eyes and looked at the plane of Zendikar and saw Eldrazi. I remember brewing my first deck for a PTQ. It was the first PTQ I ever went to, and it was this kind of janky wall deck. Essentially, I'd want to play as many Wall of Omens to get into my card draw, to get into Overgrown Battlements, to eventually hardcast a Summoning Trap, or just hardcast an Eldrazi. Then M11 came around, and Primeval Titan came out with all the other Titans, and then Eldrazi Green became a thing in Standard, and then it became my thing, and that's kind of where everything started. The rest was history. Now, you might be wondering why I didn't pick Ulamog the Infinite Geyer, who is the original Ulamog from Zendikar. Ulamog the Infinite Geyer costs 11 mana. When you cast it, you get to destroy target permanent. It has Annihilator 4. It's also indestructible. And when it's put into a graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffles it back into its library. Look, while I love Annihilator and miss it dearly, Destroying a permanent just isn't as effective as getting to exile two permanents. There's a lot of recursion that you can do or just ways to protect things in a game of commander that exiling is always going to be the better effect. On top of that, being able to exile two permanents for the price of 10 CMC is incredible. In fact, there's not a lot of other cards out there that can pair. For example, let's take a look at Archon of Justice. Archon of Justice is three white white. It's a flying 4-4 creature. When Archon of Justice is put into the graveyard from play, remove target permanent from the game. So it's five mana, it's a body, but the creature has to die to be able to exile something. There's a lot of ways to get rid of a creature off a board without it dying. So that's not really gonna help us here. In white black, we have D-Spark, which is a white and a black instant. You get to exile target permanent that's four CMC or greater. So sure, we can hit a lot of big creatures with that, but at the end of the day, being able to exile any target permanent is going to be a lot stronger than having the restrictions of CMC. And then we have things like Perilous Vault, which is four CMC for an artifact. You pay five to tap it and exile all non-land permanents. It costs nine mana in total, essentially, and then it's exiling all non-land permanents. So that hits your board too, and you don't get to hit lands. And sometimes you do wanna hit lands with Ulamog, especially if they're causing a lot of problems like a Thespian Stage or Strip Mine. Ulamog can be used as a great political tool when it comes to like wanting to hit people's lands or anything else. So being able to have the option at least to do that I think is important. So we have another colorless spell, Scour from Existence. It's instant speed. You get to exile target permanent for seven mana. But the problem is that's almost as much as Ulamog already costs. It's just three short and you only get to exile one permanent. So here we are again where Ulamog just seems like the better choice. Then we have a personal favorite of mine, Karn Liberated for seven CMC. If you minus three loyalty, you can exile target permanent, which is pretty great. You can still hit lands with it. You can do a lot of things. You also have the hand disruption from the plus ability, but it's not a creature. So if you're going against creatures and you need a big butt to help block things, he's not gonna do it. He's not indestructible. And it usually dropping any type of planeswalker is going to draw you a lot of hate. So I personally don't think it's as good as Ulamog. Then we have cards like Merciless Eviction, which is four white black, and it's a sorcery where you get to choose one, exile all artifacts, creatures, enchantments, or planeswalkers. So again, you don't really get the flexibility and choice that you get with Ulamog. Another reason why I love this card is because it's so versatile. It can go in any deck because it's colorless. Yes, it has a huge CMC, but there are so many different ways to get around that or at least reduce its cost that usually it's not a problem. So first, let's talk about the cards that allow you to cast it so that you get the trigger 
but you don't have to pay as much. We have Etherworks Marvel, which is four CMC. Whenever a permanent you control is put into the graveyard, you get one energy. You can pay six energy and tap it. Look at the top six cards from your library. You may cast a card from among them without paying its mana cost and put the rest of them on the bottom of your library in any order. In blue, we have a couple of options. We have Omniscience, which is seven blue, blue, blue. It's an enchantment. You may cast non-land permanent cards from your hand without paying their mana cost. You also have Aminatu's Augury, which costs six blue blue for a sorcery that exiles the top eight cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield until end of turn for each non-land card type. You may cast a card of that type from among the exiled cards without paying its mana cost. And then you have Counterlash for four blue blue. It's an instant speed counter target spell, you may cast a non-land card in your hand that shares a card type with that spell without paying its mana cost. Now, walk with me here. You have an Ornithopter. You cast it. Counterlash the Ornithopter, play Ulamog off the Counterlash, and voila, the best use of a counter ever. If you don't have a way to kind of cheat it out and you still want the cast trigger, you can also reduce its cost with cards like Animar, which costs blue, red, green. It's a legendary creature elemental, we see him a lot as a commander. Protection from white and black. Whenever you cast a creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Anarmar, Soul of the Elements. Creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each plus one, plus one counter on Animar. If you've seen Vinny pilot his Animar deck, you know that it doesn't take a long time to get a lot of counters on Animar, which means it probably won't take you a lot of time to cast Ulamog for essentially free. What's really great about the cast trigger is that even if a player counters Ulamog, that effect still happens, so it's still going to exile two permanents no matter what. Now, exiling two permanents isn't the only important text on the card. It's a huge body. It's the only Eldrazi Titan that's indestructible. And when you attack a player, they have to exile the top 20 cards of their library. So even if you aren't taking advantage of the cast trigger, there's still a lot of other good things that you can do with this card. So we can find ways to cheat it out in every single color, we just don't worry about the cast trigger. First up is Planar Bridge, which costs six. It's a legendary artifact. You pay eight and tap it, search your library for a permanent card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. And then there's also Quicksilver Amulet, which is four mana, and then you pay four and tap it. You may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. So it's slightly cheaper, and its target creature was just fine because Ulamog's a creature. In green, we have Elvish Piper, Defense of the Heart, and Champion of Ronus. Elvish Piper is three and a green for a 1-1 Elf Shaman. You can pay a green and tap and put a creature card from your hand into play. Defense of the Heart is three and a green as well, but it's an enchantment. And during your upkeep, if one of your opponents controls three or more creatures, sacrifice Defense of the Heart, search your library for up to two creature cards, which means you can get another Eldrazi, and put those creatures into play, shuffle your library afterward. And then we have Champion of Ronas, who is also three and a green for a 3-3 Jackal Warrior. You may exert Champion of Ronas as you attack. When you do, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. In red, we have Sneak Attack, which is three and a red. And this enchantment says, pay a red, choose a creature card from your hand, and put that creature into play. That creature is unaffected by summoning sickness. At the end of turn, sacrifice the creature. Blue was interesting because there's a lot of cards in blue that have these types of effects are more universal, but one of the ones that aren't is Shifty Doppelganger. This card is two and a blue for a 1-1 shapeshifter. You pay three and a blue to remove this card from the game, put a creature card from your hand into play. That creature gains haste until end of turn, and at the end of turn, you sacrifice that creature. If you do, you return Shifty Doppelganger back to play. And the other two cards in blue are, like I said, universal. So that's going to be Braid's Conjurer Adept, which is two blue-blue for a 2-2 human wizard. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player may put an artifact, creature, or land card from his or her hand into play. And Show and Tell, which is two and a blue. For a sorcery, each player may put an artifact, creature, enchantment, or a land card from his or her hand onto the battlefield. Black and white were interesting because there aren't ways to really put the creatures from your hand onto the battlefield, but we do have a ton of effects that bring them back from the graveyard. So I'm gonna go over a few here, starting with Reanimate, which only costs one black to return target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. You do lose life equal to its converted mana cost, but you're probably gonna end the game soon anyways. And then you have a bunch of other cards that have pretty much the same effect as Reanimate with varying different costs, such as Animate Dead, Necromancy, Beacon of Unrest, Betrayal of Flesh, 
there, there's a lot of black cards that you can take advantage of for this. Typically, you're going to be finding a way to melt Ulamog into your graveyard and then bring him out to party later with one of these cards. And in white, we also have a lot of reanimate things like Breath of Life, Surprise Deployment, Resurrection. So Ulamog is really great with these type of effects because it doesn't shuffle back into your library like a lot of the older Eldrazi do. Okay, let's recount all the reasons why I love Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger. One, I'm a duckling that imprinted on Eldrazi. Two, it's probably the best cast trigger out there. Three, it's super versatile. We can play it in any deck if we want to because there's a card that supports it in every color. And while all of those things are wonderful and valid, I think it's super important to remember that your favorite card doesn't have to be strong, very meta, great value. It just has to mean something to you, even if that's just a really cool memory with some janky little card. All right, enough about my favorite card. Let's go ahead and see what our Game Nights editor extraordinaire and my brewing buddy, Murph, has to say. Okay, before we continue, let's take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, let's get right back into it. Moving on. Hi, guys. I'm Josh Murphy, although you probably know me better as Murph. I'm one of the editors here at the Command Zone. I edit Game Nights. And today I'm here to talk about one of my favorite cards of all time, Psychic Possession. So Psychic Possession is an enchantment to Blue Blue Aura, Enchant Opponent. Skip your draw step. Whenever enchanted opponent draws a card, you may draw a card. So what this card does is when you play it, you choose an opponent, you enchant them. And then whenever that opponent draws a card, you also draw a card. So the downside is you skip your draw step, but it's not that much of a downside because you're still drawing during the opponent that you enchanted their draw phase. So the way Psychic Possession works is you skip your draw step. Seems pretty bad, right? Well, when you play it, you enchant an opponent. And whenever that opponent draws a card, you also draw a card. So we all have that one friend that loves to draw and draw and draw and draw, right? Psychic Possession is perfect against friends like that. So say Jimmy plays a Phyrexian Arena, and I enchant him with Psychic Possession. Jimmy's going to be drawing two cards during his turn and losing a life. And you also get to join in on those drawing two cards, but you don't even have to lose one life. That's value. This card is great against opponents who run cards like Rhystic Study or Consecrated Sphinx, because that opponent is going to be drawing a bunch of cards, and if you enchant them with Psychic Possession, you're also going to be joining in on drawing lots and lots and lots of cards. But you're not spending any of your other resources to draw those cards. Just this one card. It's awesome. But just because you play Psychic Possession does not mean that you don't have to play other card draw spells. If you have Psychic Possession in your deck, you have access to whatever card draw spells your opponents are playing, in addition to the card draw spells from your own deck. It's like you're playing twice the amount of card draw without having to dedicate that many slots to it. However, there's other ways to help make Psychic Possession an even better card in your deck. Let's take Wheel Effects. So Wheel of Fortune, Windfall, these cards do extra work for you because you are drawing seven cards and your opponents are also drawing seven cards. So as long as one of your opponents is enchanted with Psychic Possession, great. Now you're drawing at double the amount of cards, 14 instead of seven. That's pretty cool. Another card that works really well with Psychic Possession is Teferi's Puzzle Box. So Teferi's Puzzle Box says, At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player puts the cards in their hand on the bottom of their library in any order, then draws that many cards. 
So this works well with Psychic Possession because Psychic Possession says to skip your draw step. So you're not going to be affected by the Teferi's Puzzle Box at all, but your opponents will. And when they do so, they put the cards on the bottom of their library and draw that many cards, which allows Psychic Possession to trigger, and you're also going to draw that many cards. Cards like Prosperity or any other cards that say each player draws a card are excellent with Psychic Possession because, yet again, just like the wheels, you're going to be drawing a card, and your opponents are going to be drawing a card, so you're going to be drawing additional cards. A pretty spicy tech with this is Solitary Confinement. Solitary Confinement is an enchantment, two and a white. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Solitary Confinement unless you discard a card. Skip your draw step, and you have Shroud, prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. So usually the way Solitary Confinement plays out is you play the card, and you can't draw anymore. So you just keep discarding cards until you have no more cards in hand, and Solitary Confinement goes away. But with Psychic Possession, you're drawing cards on your opponent's turn, not your own. Psychic Possession doesn't care, if you skip your draw step, neither does Solitary Confinement. So you're always going to have that card that you can discard to Solitary Confinement, keep yourself damage-free, always shrouded. It's a really good way to make it so that you can't lose the game unless someone can get rid of one of those pieces. Another great way to use Psychic Possession is with Vidalcan Ori or Leyline of Anticipation, where you can flash it in in response to somebody playing a huge X spell. So you can say, thanks, I'll take those cards as well, benefit from their draw. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I've found that people will rarely stop playing their draw spells when you play this card because people still need to play magic, so you're almost always going to get the advantage from your opponents playing their decks. Uh, sometimes they try to get tricky and won't play their draw spells, in which case I would recommend trying to get a little bit political, try to be their friend, try to reach out, and then hopefully you can get them to start playing their draw spells, start playing their deck a little bit more, then you'll reap the benefits. Two closing thoughts. One thing you should never do with this card Never play it on an opponent with Necropotence. You will not draw cards for the rest of the game. It's a really bad idea. Something that you should always do is enchant Josh Lee Quiet with it. You will get so much value. It'll be so much fun. And watch him squirm a little bit in his seat is always worth a card slot in your deck. All right, that's all I have for today. And so I'm going to give it off to my good friend, Jake Boss. Hey everybody, I'm Jake and I'm an editor on Game Nights here at the Command Zone. And my favorite card in Commander is Brutaclad. Brutaclad! 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 Brutaclad has a huge noggin! Telcor Engineer. Brutaclad Telcor Engineer costs four blue-red. He's a legendary artifact creature. He's an artificer and a 4-4. Creature tokens you control have haste. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 2-1 blue mirror artifact creature token. Then you may choose a token you control. If you do, each other token you control becomes a copy of that token. So before I started working here, I probably watched that episode of the podcast like five times and got really excited and picked up all the pieces and made my own version of it. And since then, I've been uh, building and tweaking. But what's so cool about him is it's a really unconventional strategy because there's a bunch of different ways to win. So let's say you've got a 1-1 Thopter and a 2-1 Blue Mirror that Brutaclad made. Uh, you can choose to copy the flyer and then your 2-1 becomes a copy of that. Or if you want more power on the ground, uh, you can copy the 2-1 and now both of your tokens are 2-1s. One thing about it though is that all of your tokens have to change into that. You can't just change some. So there are tons of interesting ways to make uh, tokens in the deck, like Confirmed Suspicions. It's a counter spell that costs three blue blue and says investigate three times. Uh, even in this deck, any card that says create three tokens can be super valuable because imagine you've got a 4-4 four, four on the board uh, and then you've got three clue tokens, which are pretty low value for what those do on their own. But being able to convert them into 4-4s four, makes the value insane. Another interesting card is Helm of the Host. It's a uh, four mana cost legendary artifact. It's an equipment. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a token that's a copy of equipped creature. Except the token isn't legendary if equipped creature is legendary. That token gains haste. Now, it costs five to equip it, so it is kind of magical Christmas land. But if you're able to get a non-legendary Brutaclad on the board, you're just going to explode out of nowhere. Um, and if he sticks around, then it's just bad news for your opponents. There's fun stuff you can use your tokens for, too, that isn't just combat damage. Uh, one of my favorites is Tamiyo's Journal. It's a five mana cost legendary artifact with, at the beginning of your upkeep, investigate and tap, sacrifice three clues, insert your library for a card, put that card into your hand, and then shuffle your library. So depending on what the board looks like, I might get a combat celebrant to go infinite and just end the game so we can shuffle up and play another. I might get a specific answer to something that's on the board. 
or something fun like Platinum Angel and make a token copy of it and suddenly have a bunch of Platinum Angels in the air that say you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. So having a bunch of Platinum Angels on the board, they're going to have to get rid of all of them if they want to win the game. Uh, so a mass board wipe or something will take care of it, but I think it's a fun problem to make your opponents answer. So one of the things that makes this deck a glass cannon that I've been trying to find ways to protect against is they can just get rid of your tokens and then you're not a problem anymore. So you have to hide them in interesting ways, like uh, making a token copy of a land. So I use Sahili's Artistry sometimes. Uh, it's four blue blue, it's a sorcery that says choose one or both. Create a token that's a copy of target artifact and create a token that's a copy of target creature, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. Then you make a token copy of an artifact land like Darksteel Citadel, which also has the upside of being indestructible. So now when Brutoclad triggers at the beginning of combat, you can turn all of those tokens into lands. Now you're safe against cards like Cyclonic Rift, which are super common in our format, that say do something to target non-land permanent. Well, since all of your tokens that you're investing in are lands, they can't touch you. Everyone else might be rebuilding from scratch after a board wipe, but you can pick up where you left off with the added bonus of a bunch of extra lands for short-term mana advantage. There's always new pieces too. Stolen by the Fae and Fairy Formation were great from Eldraine, and Nadir Kraken and Perforos's Intervention are going in from Theros for a little while while I test them out. But it's such a common mechanic that you're going to see new pieces all the time. Blue will make interesting uh, tokens like treasures or clues or something like that. And then red always makes trampoly, hasty, elementals, uh, which are super useful. All right, everybody, that's my favorite card in Commander, Brutoclad, Telcor Engineer. Let's hear from the next person down the line, which is Lady Danger, about her favorite card in Commander. Hey, everyone. I'm Lady Danger. You might know me from Game Nights or as one of the editors on Command Zone. And I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite cards in Commander. It's not the best card in Commander, but I love really unique wing conditions. So my card today is Arachnogenesis. Arachnogenesis is two in a green. Instant create X12 green spider creature tokens with reach, where X is the number of creatures attacking you. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn by non-spider creatures. I personally run this in my Azuri Claw of Progress deck. The spider creature tokens are gonna trigger Azuri. I'm gonna move to my combat step, move those counters on something else and swing in big. If you don't have a Zuri, you could do something like a spider tribal deck with Ishkana, Graft Widow. You could use Arasta, the Endless Web from Theros Beyond Death, or Thanos, the War Weaver. If spider tribal isn't your thing, go ahead and put it in a token matters deck like Amara or Gave. You could even get a little spicy and drop it in a Prosh deck and sacrifice those little spiders for the ultimate value. If you are going the token matters route, you're going to want to make sure to get the most that you can out of all of these spiders by running some kind of doubler. Maybe doubling season, perhaps? You can run doubling season or primal vigor or parallel lives. They're all gonna allow your spiders to come in with an additional spider friend. If you wanna get really spicy, play doubling season and primal vigor to get quadruple the amount of spiders onto the battlefield. Chances are your pod will never let that happen, but a lady can dream. If you are playing Amara or Gave, I recommend trying to have Anointed Procession out right before you go to play Arachnogenesis. And then you're gonna get even more tokens onto the battlefield. More tokens, more better. Arachnogenesis is ideally going to give you a lot of tokens. And even if you don't get a lot of tokens from playing it, it is still a fog effect. It's not as good as something like Heroic Intervention, but it's still gonna prevent all combat damage dealt by non-spider creatures this turn. So it's still worth playing. So what if you don't have any of those out and you're just stuck with some one, two spider creature tokens? It's really not that great when you think about it, but it could be really great if you just utilize what you have. So I personally, like I said, run this in my Azuri deck. One of my favorite combinations with it is Champion of Lampholt. So I'm gonna get X12 spider creature tokens with reach, and then hopefully it's gonna be at least two or three. I'm gonna get triggers on my Champion of Lampholt, which is also gonna trigger Azuri, and I'm gonna get more counters on him. And then when I move to my combat step, I get to move all of those counters from Azuri onto Champion of Lampholt, which is now gonna be 
ideally unblockable, and swing in. If you're not running Azuri, you still have ways to put plus one, plus one counters onto your spiders. If you are going the Selesnia route and you're running a Mara Agave, you can go ahead and use Cathar's Crusade or Marari's Wake. And they're all gonna put plus one, plus one counters onto your spider creature tokens. And I mean, if you have three spider creature tokens that were originally one twos, and now they're two threes with reach and you don't have any flyers, that's pretty worth it, at least in my opinion. So you don't play plus one, plus one counters. That's fine. You're wrong, but that's fine. You could sacrifice your spider creature tokens with things like Grave Pact or Ashnod's Altar. You can use the mana to play additional cards, or you can use Grave Pact for board control and value. So Josh always talks about card advantage. So why don't you utilize your spiders for card advantage? You could play things like Sadistic Hypnotist to utilize your free tokens for card advantage by making your opponents discard their hands. And you know that if you have more cards in your hand than your opponent, chances are you're probably gonna win the game. Cards like Perforos, God of the Forge, and Impact Tremors are all great ways to abuse your token triggers for direct damage to your opponents. And don't forget to have out a doubling season or maybe even a Panharnomicon. They're gonna get you a few extra points of damage in and we all know that every single point of damage matters in a commander game. So I think that my favorite moment playing Arachnogenesis kind of came out of nowhere. I was sitting at my local game store playing a very casual game of Commander when my opponent decided that he was going to play Aggravated Assault and an Aheal combo. He proceeded to attack multiple times and kill every single other player at the game. And I was the last person he decided to attack. And by the time he got to me, he was attacking with like 80 warriors. He looks at me and he goes, well, do you want a scoop? And me being me, I look back at him and I go, are you tapped out? And he goes, yeah. And I said, okay, that's fine. And I just slammed down Arachnogenesis while I had Azuri out. So I got 81-2 spider creature tokens with reach. They all triggered my Azuri. And it also prevents all combat damage dealt by non-spider creature tokens that turn. So... I just went to my combat step on the next turn and I swung in and I won. So for all of you CEDH players that sit down at a casual game of Commander at a local game store and decide that you want to swing in with 80 warriors, make sure that your opponent doesn't have an arachnogenesis in their hand. So for me, some of my favorite cards in Commander are not always going to be winners, but they can be. You probably won't be tutoring for Arachnogenesis anytime soon, but if you do have it in your hand, utilize it to the best of your ability. So the next time somebody starts swinging in with 80 warriors, you have that in your back pocket to make them regret that decision for the rest of their life. So let's hand this off to one of our newest editors at Command Zone, Manson, and see what kind of player he really is. What's good, everyone? My name is Manson. I'm the newest editor here at the Command Zone podcast. And one of my favorite cards to play in Commander is Villainous Wealth. So Villainous Wealth costs X, black, green, blue. It's a sorcery. Target opponent exiles the top X cards of their library. You may cast any number of non-land cards with converted mana costs X or less from among them without paying their mana costs. So cheating out cards from my opponent's deck is one of the best feelings I could have in Commander. And I have a deck just dedicated to using this card the whole game and seeing what kind of goodies that my opponents are playing with. But sadly, Villainous Wealth isn't a Commander itself, so you gotta tutor it up with cards like Demonic Tutor, Mystic Tutor, and a new one from Throne of Eldraine, Wishclaw Talisman. But one of my favorite ways to actually get this card is with the transmute mechanic. So something like a perplex, where it costs one blue and a black. It's an instant counter target spell unless this controller discards their hand. Or you could use the transmute cost, where it's one blue and a black also. Discard this card, search your library for a card with the same converted mana cost as this card. Reveal it and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library transmute only as a sorcery. So I just love the versatility of this card where I can grab Villainous Wealth or grab another 3CMC card. And it's a pretty good counterspell in case my opponent doesn't really want to discard their hand. So now that we have Villainous Wealth, we need some mana to dump into this card. So something like Zendikar's Resurgence, Mirari's Wake, and our preview card from Theros Beyond Death, 
Nixbloom Ancient. All these mana doublers and triplers are going to help make Villain's Wealth as big as possible. And who doesn't like a big Villain's Wealth, right? We also have Primal Amulet that can help reduce the X cost. But I'm way more interested in the flip side, which is Primal Wellspring, which copies Villainous Wealth and lets me target another player if I wanted to. Why settle for one big Villainous Wealth when you get two, targeting two players? Some other cards that can help copy Villainous Wealth are Unbound Flourishing, Swarm Intelligence, and one of Jimmy and Josh's favorite cards is Narciss Reversal which allows you to bounce your own Villainous Wealth back into your hand, and the copy will still be able to target one of the other players, but you get the Villainous Wealth back, meaning next turn, you're setting up for another huge X spell. And lastly, the best part about this is that Villainous Wealth doesn't exile itself, so you're able to recur it with stuff like Eternal Witness, Regrowth, and Wildest Dreams. All these spells help you get back Villainous Wealth for the next turn to be able to copy it one time, two times, three times, and keep the whole cycle going. And lastly, one of my pet cards in this deck is Oblivion Sower. So Oblivion Sower costs six generic mana. It's a creature, Eldrazi, 5-8. When you cast a spell, target opponent exiles the top four cards of their library. Then you may put any number of land cards that player owns from exile onto the battlefield under your control. So Oblivion Sower grabs all the lands that Villainous Wealth exiled and allows you to put them right back onto the battlefield under your control so you're able to set it up for next turn. So I remember one time where X was like 33 and I was able to copy it like three times being able to mill out one of my opponents who was playing the Omnath Locus of Rage and I was able to grab a Warstorm Surge and all the fatties that were coming in killed another player and then lastly i also hit a hammer perforos and avenger zendikar so all my tokens have haste now and i just put a bunch of lands into play because of all the rant spells making these tokens ginormous swinging out and finishing off the last player this is why i love venusol so much it's super fun to play it's super powerful and you never know how these games play out back to you jimmy and josh All right. Well, thank you, Manson. Very nice. Very nice. And thank you, everyone else. Mm-hmm. All the of whole our team. Editors, the whole team. We'll mention them at the end of the episode. But now it's time for to the listeners. We want to know what your favorite cards are in Commander. So let us know in the YouTube comments, on Twitter, on Instagram as well now, and on Facebook. Uh, we're going to have this conversation everywhere. I want to know, are you more of a Craig Blanchett? Or are you more of a Murph type? Are you a Lady Danger or an Ashlyn Rose? Are you a Jimmy Wong or a Josh Lee Kwai? Or are you just Jake Boss? Jake comments on sometimes on the videos and tweets at us, so it could just be Jake. <laughs> but anyway, let us know in the comments and everything below. And we mentioned a lot of cards here today, so you know where to go if you want to pick up any of them. It's cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Uh, I think I'm going to get Murph's card. That card's really, really fun. Yeah. Murph. And he also said cast it against you, so I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Murph. Uh, yes, and if you buy a bunch of cards on cardkingdom.com slash command zone, you should probably protect all that stuff. So Ultra Pro makes the best sleeves, the best playmats, the best deck boxes. Also the coolest looking stuff. So it's not only going to protect all of your cards, it's also going to look awesome when you're on the battlefield. And, you know, who doesn't want to look awesome? You pull, you roll out your playmat, deck boxes and sleeves out. When all that Official art. Yeah, uh, when all that stuff's looking pristine and it's all matching, you know, it's an intimidation factor for, for your opponents for sure. Yeah, you know a lot of people put time and care into their clothes or their right. cars or their other things they own. Why not your playmats and your sleeves and make it all uniform or mix it up, have a little asymmetry in there. Yeah, very, very cool. Okay, uh, you thought we were done with the clips. Nope. But we're actually going to hand off the end step to Lady Danger because she has something cool she wants to talk about. All right. Hey everybody, welcome to the end step where we talk about things outside of magic that are awesome and cool. And I'm gonna be talking about something that is pretty near and dear to my heart. I actually just came for one and it is Renaissance fairs. So I've been going to Renaissance fairs since I was a very little kid and it's got me into so many different fantasy things. So if you're into LARPing or anything like that, a Renaissance fair is gonna be awesome. There are 
all over the world. They're local there. They're, I think they're more so in the US than there are anywhere, but I know that there are huge LARPs out in the UK that you could go to that are pretty similar. So pretty much it's a reenactment. There's a lot of reenactments. There's some that are more like Civil War era or things like that, but this is pretty much more medieval and it kind of runs the gambit of anywhere between King Richard or even... Catherine and things like that. So you're going to go and you're going to have actors that are everywhere. It's super immersive. I encourage you to dress up in anything, truly. They have different themed weekends. They have things that are like specifically for steampunk or... They have, there's another like time travelers weekend. So if you wanted to work, dress up as Star Trek or anything like that, you can do that too. But what I love about them, besides the fact that they're super interactive, is they actually are kind of historical. There's little areas that you can find throughout different places that they are doing maybe blacksmithing or they're showing you how to loom different weaves and things like that, which are kind of forgotten arts at this point. And so when you get to go, obviously, enjoy some of the performances. There's great musicians, there's jugglers, there's some Shakespearean stuff. Enjoy that, but also take the time and effort to go and look for some of the really historically accurate things out there. If that's not your thing, they have tons of things like pub crawls where they take you all over their whole town and they bring you to each bar and you get a drink and then you get to do that with a bunch of other people. Uh, and just enjoy it. Like let go of the world for just a little while and immerse yourself into something that's fantastical and amazing. And I almost forgot to mention it, and I think my friends would be kind of offended because I'm friends with some of them, is the jousting. You can see it at medieval times, sure, but seeing it with tons of people in a super immersive place is extravagant. I know some of these guys have been doing it for 30 and 40 years and you get to pick a side and you can buy a little like banner and you can cheer them on and they do it I think three times for the whole day. At the end, it's a battle to the death where they all sometimes die and then they don't or they do something crazy. So make sure to see a joust, get a turkey leg and immerse yourself into something fantastic. All right, very, very cool from Lady Danger. Thank you. Again, thanks to our entire editing, graphics, and logistics team. So that's Lady Danger, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, and Manson Lung. Also, not in this episode because they're not magic players yet, we're working on them, <laughs> is Sam Waldo and Alfred Estaca. I asked Sam what his favorite card was, and but he's the guy that does all the animations stuff. And he went, Bayou. I was like, Bayou, why? He just, just learned how much that card is worth. <laughs> he just goes, because it enters untapped. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell he's been hanging around the office because he picks up the words, the but he doesn't really know things. what they mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like contextual clues. We're working on him. We had him playing some starter decks the other night. Yeah, so. he enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the living card animations that live in front and behind us on set not in front in front of the episodes on command zone uh so big thanks you can find him on twitter at living cards mtg all right everybody this has been a fun one thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time peace For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.